want to thank you for being here this morning. We are going to continue our look at the apostles. And this morning, we're specifically going to look at James, the son of Alphaeus. And we don't know a lot about James. There's very, there's very little said in the scriptures about him, and we'll see that. Uh, years ago, when I was in the coaching world, uh, we used to have a saying that said, less is more. Many of you may know that James was also referred to as James the Less or James the Lesser. And so hopefully this morning that our study of James the Less will be more. It'll be something that'll be insightful for us. We're going to focus on just uh, a, a few points that will maybe help us in our Christian walk. And I think there's great application here. Uh, but there's not a lot that we know about this guy. Uh, either from the Bible or from history. Uh, history is very uncertain as to exactly uh, what happened with this guy and where he went to preach. Uh, some thinks, some say that he went to Persia, uh, to the Syrian area, and preached there. And we're not even sure about his death, that he may have been stoned, he may have been beaten to death, or he may have been crucified. We are somewhat certain that he uh, he did die a a martyred death to our Lord Jesus Christ, and he died uh, because of his faith. And so we see the passage here in Luke chapter 6 that just references him as one of the apostles. And notice that there's another James, that James and John, uh, they were the sons of Zebedee. And James, is James, the son of Zebedee, uh, is more well-known. There's another James in the Bible that's... that's uh, a little bit better known, he wrote the book of James, and that is James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, that went on to be uh, an elder there at the church at Jerusalem and became uh, a strong force for, for the gospel of Christ in, in that city. But James, the less or the lesser or the son of Alphaeus, is not well known. There's not a lot that we know about him, but we do know this. We knew know that his family were close followers of the Lord as well. And so we can surmise from the fact that, as you can see here at the cross, there were some women that were looking from afar at the cross, and uh, Mary Magdalene was one, and James, or Mary, the mother of James the Less, and of Joseph, and of Salome, they were, uh, she was also there. So, you can surmise from this that probably that James had a lot to do with converting his family. That when he was called to be an apostle, that the first thing he thought of is, man, I want my family in this thing too. And so we find that his mother and his brother and I suppose his sister uh, were close followers of the Lord as well. And so he did that. Or at least we can think that he probably did that. And we see that... On the, on the day of the resurrection, guess who was there? Well, there's Mary, the mother of James. So again, these people were prominent followers of the Lord. And I'm guessing that they got there by following uh, the lead of James, a chosen apostle. So James the Less. Well, why James the Less? Uh, some have guessed that the reason that he was called that is because he was small in stature. That's, that's one theory. Another is that uh, he was called that because he was younger than James, the son of Zebedee. That also is possible. 
and then a third, and the one that's most consistent uh, or most agreed upon by theologians that I read is that because he had less influence. He really, we don't know a lot about this guy. And so because of that, uh, not that he had no influence, but that he was less well-known than the, the other Jameses. And so hence, James the less. And perhaps all three are true. He may have been small in stature. He may have been younger. And he may also have had less influence. Well, John MacArthur wrote a book called Twelve Ordinary Men about the apostles. And he, here's what he writes. He says, the only thing Scripture tells us about this man is his name. If he ever wrote anything, it is lost to history. If he ever asked Jesus any questions or did anything to stand out from the group, Scripture does not record it. He never attained any degree of fame or notoriety. He was not the kind of person who stands out. He was utterly obscure. He even had a common name. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? So how do we learn anything from this guy from which we know nothing about? Well, let's go on and look at this other writing by John MacArthur. He said, we might say that his distinguishing mark was his obscurity. That in itself is a significant fact. Apparently, he sought no recognition. He displayed no great leadership. He asked no critical questions. He demonstrated no unusual insight. Only his name remains while his life and his labors are immersed in obscurity. I would submit to you this morning that that is not necessarily a slight on James, but a reminder to us that there are many, in fact, most, most Christians labor in anonymity because it's not what fame and fortune I can draw to myself and it's not what you can do for you and to to create a legacy of people remember you and what you did but rather what we can each do to further the cause of Jesus Christ and the best that we know James the less did a great deal for that cause and ultimately was put to death. You know, you don't get put to death unless you were doing something in the Lord in that day and age. You didn't get put to death unless you were doing something that was against the law. And one of the things that that was against the law at the time was to preach this religion of Christianity. He went and he did that and ultimately lost his life for it. But yet in the scriptures and in history, he's fairly obscure. But think about that as a lesson for us today. That it's not about what we can obtain to ourselves, but rather, what can we do for the cause of Jesus Christ? It's kind of the opposite of this guy. And you know, in the Western world especially, I guess, uh, we have a real problem with pride. You know, there's three major categories of sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I would say this one is the one, the pride of life is the one that can be the most hidden, the most, the most difficult to recognize in yourself. I, I, I pick on Brother Dusty this morning because he, he gave a lesson about four years ago that had somewhat of an impact on me. Um, most of you, if you know Brother Dusty well, 
you know that he's as humble a man as you would ever be around. And he stood up here one Sunday morning, like I am today, and he talked about that he had a problem with pride. And my eyes got really big because I thought, if Dusty has a problem with pride, I know that I do. And I'm guessing that most of you probably do too. It just comes out in different ways. It manifests itself in different ways in different people. And so one of the ways that it can come out in people is that there's a tendency to compare ourselves with other people. That we maybe we'll get in conversations and we talk with somebody else and it's like, I'm okay and you're okay, but this other guy that's the subject of our conversation is not okay. I would say that that type of conversation is a symptom or a sign that you may have a little bit of a problem with pride if you're involved in those kind of conversations. When you're talking about other people and you're not, you're not real, you're saying, I'm okay and you're okay, but this other guy over here, not so much, uh, that's probably an indicator that you may have a problem with pride. Here's another one. Complaining. You know what complaining means? Complaining says this. It says, I deserve better than what I'm getting right now. And so if I'm complaining about how things are or about how I'm being treated, aren't I saying I deserve better? And isn't that then a function of being prideful? See, it can come out in some very subtle ways, but I think they're clear manifestations uh, of problems with pride. And again, I think the Western culture, if you think about what we, we typically say, you know, you earn your way in life. You, you, you try to be self-sufficient. You don't want to be a burden to others. And so you earn your own success. We teach that you go to work and you work hard and you take pride in your work. There's that word. Then you will achieve some, some measure of success. You can feel good about that. But that kind of cuts against a little bit what the Scriptures teach us to be about, that we should be an humble people, that we should not be uh, people that, that rely on ourselves to the point that we believe that we're all that. And it seems that, now, what the personality of James the Lesser was, we don't really know. He may have had a problem with pride, but I would submit to you that the lesson of his life is one of humility and one of laboring in obscurity and being content with that lot in life. Uh, think about your motives. When you got up this morning and you decided to come to the Lord's house to worship, why did you choose to come? Did you have the thought, I want to go and worship the Lord, my God, the Creator, the one who gave me Jesus to, make, to give, my, give me a relationship with Him? Was that ever in your thoughts, or did you just get up and come? What did you decide to put on? Did you put on clothes that you thought would draw attention to yourself, or did you put on clothes that you thought maybe would be a non-distraction? You know, there are people that are dressed here in different ways, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. I'm trying to get you to explore your motives. Um, Brother John's got a suit on. John usually wears a suit. A lot of times he has to go to work right after this, and his work requires him to wear a suit. So I'm guessing that he wears a suit because that's his custom. Uh, some people wear a suit under the mentality that 
um, I want to give God my best. And so when I come to church, I want to I want to be my best. And so I'm going to wear my best. That's that's a mentality. And that that's there's nothing wrong with that thinking. There's some people that that want to dress down and dress humbly because they believe that that's their place is that that's how they should dress. But if we're doing it, but I could do it for a completely different reason, couldn't I? My motive could be to draw attention to myself. So again, my point is that we need to examine our motives and realize that we probably all have a little bit of a problem with pride and it's something that we need to work against. And Jesus taught against this. You know, the apostles, this isn't new to us. The apostles wanted to know who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. So they began to ask Jesus about positions. And, you know, of the 12 of us, who's going to be in the positions to your right hand or your left hand? Jesus responded like this. He said, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalteth himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm sure that was a real head-scratcher to them. Because if you think about it, Jesus is preaching about this kingdom. So what are they thinking about? Are they thinking about a, a church? No. They're thinking about a kingdom that would rule. And so if it's going to rule, we need some people in authority to help rule. So if Jesus is going to be the king, who's going to be his Who's going to be his court? Who's going to be his inner circle? That's what they were getting at. And Jesus cautioned them about that kind of thinking. Think about the words of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was to prepare the way for the Lord. What did he say? He said that he, speaking of Christ, must increase, but I decrease. He realized that he had a purpose, but there was a time and a place that that He must recede into the background and Jesus must step forward. And he realized that they were getting to a point where that was to be the case. So even John the Baptist, the emphasis was not on him, but rather was on the one that would follow him. And you think about your position in the Lord's church. You know, we are the body of Christ. We're the we are the parts of. But people are identified mostly by their face. And so when they see us, when they see this group, the question would be, do they see Christ or do they see me and you? And I would also say that if um, on the day of judgment, if we want the Lord to look at when we're judged and the, the God of righteousness looks at us and all of our sin and our, the evilness is in our hearts. Don't we want him to look at Christ's righteousness instead and account that to us? That's, that's, why, that's why you were baptized, is you want that in that day of judgment. Well, if that's true, then today in the world, when they see us, When the world sees us, what should they see? They should see the Lord. They should see Jesus. We should show Jesus in the way that we live to people here in the world so that in the day of judgment, God will look at us and see Jesus' righteousness. So we're the body of Christ. We're just the functional part that makes it work. But we take our controls, we take our directions from the head.
and not from ourselves. You know, probably all of us have had the experience of uh, maybe waking up in the middle of the night with a cramp. I'm sure most of you have had that experience from time to time. That's kind of like one part of the body that's going off on its own and doing something that the head's not telling it to do, isn't it? And I wonder sometimes if, if that's what happens in the Lord's church is that when we go our own way and when we choose to just do our own thing and draw attention to ourselves rather than, rather than Him and do it for His glory, then that's kind of a, the cramp kind of becomes a metaphor for that. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you'll remember that chapter, there's a whole passage that names lots and lots of different people who through faith were justified in the sight of God. And there's lots of named people there. But kind of at the end of that list, there's this. And it's others. So these are people that we don't know their names. Others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and of of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise upon the earth. They did it for a promise that was to come. You notice that these people worked in complete obscurity, that we don't know who they were. And many of them were tortured and they died for the cause of God. And in the, in the New Testament time, have died for the cause of Jesus Christ. They worked in anonymity. And they worked in obscurity. But they did it for a prize that would come. So the life of James should teach us, it ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's not even about us. It's about the cross. And how Jesus came and very simply gave his life to make himself to make himself righteousness for you and I. So that when God sees me, he doesn't see the sinful man that I am, but rather he sees righteousness that only is possible through the blood of Jesus. What if we had an apostle? By some miracle, could never happen, but what if an apostle was coming to Denton, Texas? It'd be over 2,000 years old, so again, not possible. But what if? So an apostle is going to come and he's going to preach. Now, can you imagine there would every person that named Christianity or was even interested in Christianity or maybe, maybe was an atheist and didn't believe in Christianity? Do you think that they could sell out the Apogee Stadium? you think we could just fill that up with people that would come to that? 
And, you know, if you could score some backstage passes and get to meet that guy, wouldn't that be incredible? You could sign your program. You could ask him a few questions. Wouldn't that be incredible? But think about what we're already doing. We're taking our focus off the message and we're putting it on a man. And that's not the purpose. Not that the stories about Paul and Peter and all those others who were named, we learn things from their life. Those are important. And God put them in there for a reason. So I'm not suggesting that the others should be discounted, but I'm saying that there are a lot of people that work in, in complete anonymity and they do a lot for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, again, quoting John Mark MacArthur, he says, all men, all the men, he's talking about the apostles, themselves more or less disappeared from the biblical narrative within a few years after Pentecost. In no case does Scripture give us a full biography. That is because the Scripture always keeps the focus on the power of Christ and the power of the Word, not the men who were the mere instruments of that power. These men were filled with the Spirit and they preached the Word. That is all we really need to know. The vessel is not the issue. The Master is. The Master is. Let our focus be on the Lord. Let us humbly serve in obscurity. Let us be the kind of people who believe a legacy here in Denton, not for, for us, not about what we did, but for what this congregation can do to further the cause of Jesus Christ and can do it as humbly and as simply as we can. The lesson is yours this morning. Uh, if you need the prayers of the church, if we can help you in any way, we are going to offer a song of invitation, and we would ask you to come as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.